0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com.
1: Well, to be honest with you, and you won't be surprised by this, um, the sermon for today changed a little bit this week. Um. With the goings on in the world, specifically in Paris, uh, this past week. This is the last of the sermons in this series. This is our story, and it has been sort of a fast break through the book of Revelation. And, and last week and this week are sort of a mini series within a series. Uh, the last two chapters, chapters 21 and 22, those are the really, really fun parts of the book of Revelation when there is victory. And there is light and life and hope and all of that, and we are in the second of those two chapters, 2022 today, and we're going to talk a lot today about the effects of this victory. But I said something to you last week that I want to reiterate for you now. We don't read and I don't preach from Revelation 21 and 22 As if we are already living in the victory, the final victory, the ultimate victory of Revelation 21 and 22. As a matter of fact, much like the book itself that was given to John, who then gives it to all of these different churches, much like the original occasion for its writing, there's darkness, a lot of darkness. Uh, and anguish and pain and ugliness and violence and the kind of stuff that makes you wonder if god's paying attention or if god's strong enough to do something about it 2015 we're still we're still in a situation where we monitor the news and we watch as horror unfolds in front of us and we wonder, we wonder, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? And, and is our pastor trying to tell us week in and week out that things are getting better, things are trending in the right direction? What I'm trying to tell you week in and week out is that there is the most important battle of this victory, of, of this entire battle, has already been fought and won in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are headed toward the full announcement and the full embodiment of that victory. But we are not yet living specifically in chapters 21 or 22. Like the original author, we are living in anguished times, tear-stained times. Today's sermon is not meant to tell you that things are better than they are. Today's sermon... The chapter that we are going to work through today, chapter 22, the entirety of the book of Revelation is not meant to tell you that things are somehow better than they actually are. It's meant to orient you. It's meant to take you by the shoulders and change your orientation just enough so that you can see clearly this victory and you can live accordingly. an unspeakable tragedy. Um, One that was so bad I I found myself not wanting to let my 16-year-old watch the news. And then in the aftermath, you probably are as aware as as I am, the reactions on Facebook don't always help. I'm not sure why God created Facebook. Maybe God did create fake Facebook. but We said this last week, I wanna say it again. We, we, we belong to a large group of people <laughs> known as Christians. And my belief is that there are times when Christians spend way too much time finding fault and not nearly enough time in the rescue process. And I think that happened again this week. I, in fact, what I think will happen is that again, here we are in this election cycle, this election season, and each side will try to figure out how to blame the other side for it. And then each side will try to, in fact, there are a lot of folks who would say, and I might be one of these folks who will say this, The winner will be the person who can convince us that he or she can guarantee our safety. And so they'll spend a lot of energy trying to blame somebody for this, and then they'll spend a lot of energy trying to tell us that they can keep it from happening, right? But what are Christians supposed to do in the meantime? Vote? Yes. Participate. Vote, gather information, have opinions. But what are we supposed to do in the meantime? I mean, it's, it's dark, it is tear-stained. Well, that's what this sermon's about. That's what this text is about, and I don't just mean chapter 22, I mean the entirety of it. There is a sense in which the entirety of the book of Revelation is an answer to this question, what are we supposed to do now? We have the resurrected Christ. We have this first initial great victory that changes everything, and yet this victory has not been fully announced and fully implemented, so what do we do now that we are in this great in-between time that we said last week, rightly, is now, but also not yet? What do we do? Where do we go? What do we say? What do we think? How do we decide? How do we spend? What do we do? And the book of Revelation is an answer to those kinds of questions. And I think you start by saying, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This was not the original dream of God. You can find a couple of different creation stories, actually, in the book of Genesis. And I like this one in chapter 2 that talks about a river and a tree. A river and a tree, and this river and this tree, it actually makes several appearances throughout Scripture. We kind of just think of this one, and then a lot of people think of the other one, and we're going to get to that one in the book of Revelation, but this river and this tree show up. They show up periodically throughout Scripture. It, It seems to be the stubborn dream of God that there would be a river and a tree, the tree of life, the river of the waters of life. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to, to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also, in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I bet that tree was gorgeous and huge. I bet it was also off limits because the people could not handle this power. This power. There's a sense in which they disqualified themselves. Yes, from the garden, but they disqualified themselves from having any real contact with this tree of life. It wasn't just the tree though. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. This is this, the waters of life. From there it divides and becomes four branches. Well you kind of know what happens, they are expelled from the garden. And in fact, it's really neat that the imagery is such that the people of God in the book of Genesis continue to wander farther and farther and farther and farther away from the garden, farther away all the time. You can even see it geographically laid out. They wander farther and farther from the source of life, choosing their own sources and resources as opposed to the sources and resources of God. And slowly but surely, sure enough, there is this separation, we talked about it last week. Mankind grabs earth, and they drag it away from heaven. And this kingdom of heaven and earth that was meant to be interlocked and interrelated finally is separated, not because God wanted it to be so, but because God is God enough to allow the people to drag it away. But God maintained a stubborn dream for life. God maintained a stubborn dream for the river and the tree. So you have this graphic picture of the river and the tree in Genesis. And then throughout much of Scripture, what you have is the rumor. The rumor of living water and healing trees. There was a very dark, dark, dark time in our people's shared history called the exile. In fact, there's a couple of different exiles. And this one in particular, though, was the Babylonian exile. The Babylonian exile seemed to take dead aim dead aim, at the places where the people of God rooted and anchored their faith. The Babylonians didn't just win a military battle. They came to town and they wiped out all of the most important symbols, the places where people anchored their faith. They wiped out the city. They wiped out the temple. And hear this, the people of God seem to say... No temple, how can we ever follow God anymore? But if there's no temple, if there's not a box for us to put God in, how can we ever follow God anymore? And the book of Ezekiel is this beautiful, beautiful story of God showing up unexpectedly. He shows up to this Ezekiel who, as often as not, is by this river, Kabar, head in his hands. And God shows up to say, okay, here are all the things that went wrong, here's why. The temple is ultimately expendable. It's not about the temple, by the way. But as you track through this book, you eventually get to chapter 40. And starting with about chapter 40, when everything is its darkest and most tear-stained, now in chapter 40, you start to hear God saying, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something new. Every once in a while, there's a guide who comes and grabs Ezekiel by the hand and takes him places. One time, he takes him to the Valley of Dry Bones. Remember that? He keeps calling him man or mortal. Well, this guide comes and gets Ezekiel again, and he takes him to the temple, a new temple though, a new and rebuilt temple, a new, a better temple, and watch what he finds here. If you have your Bibles, you're certainly welcome to turn with me all the way over to Ezekiel 47. I'm going to read a whole chunk of it, and then I'm going to put a little bit of it on the the screen in front of you. So there they are in complete darkness, in exile, tear stains everywhere. Ezekiel is grabbed by the arm by this guide. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1, then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There water was flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And the water was coming out the south side. So now the water is exiting the temple. It seems to originate in the temple. And now it's leaving the temple. And watch what happens with this river of the water of life. Going on eastward. With the cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits, or about 570 yards, and then he led me through the water, and it was about ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 cubits, another 570 yards or so, and he led me through the water, and this time it was knee deep. Again, he measured 1,000. He led me through the water, and this time it was up to the waist, and again, he measured 1,000. It was a river that I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed, and he said to me, mortal, Are you getting this? Are you seeing this? Remember that river? There's going to be a river, God says. There's going to be a river. There's going to be a river of the waters of life, and that river is going to do its work Then he led me back along the bank of the river. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. And when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. In fact, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. And once these waters reach there, It will become fresh and everything will live where the river goes. And we don't yet have the river at this point. We don't yet have this river because the people are in exile. The people are in darkness. They're in tear-stained places. But the guide shows up to say to Ezekiel because he wants Ezekiel to say now to the people, don't give up. We still will have a river. And this river, though it may start small, remember it started as sort of a trickle, As you keep walking, this river gets larger and larger, ankle deep, knee deep, hip deep, until finally it's so deep it's a river. It's a huge river that you can't even cross. This river is on its way, says the guide to Ezekiel. Now, verse 12. On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. It's important. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. And I read all of that and make a kind of a big deal about it because I want you to see where Revelation 22 comes from. It doesn't just come from Genesis 2. There's this deep, dark, chapter in our people's history known as the exile and while in the exile in this dark tear-stained place God comes to Ezekiel and says there's still going to be a river there's still going to be these trees the tree of life the leaves of which are meant to heal all of the nations it's all coming it hadn't happened yet in the book of Ezekiel it hadn't happened yet but it's coming it's coming it's coming by the way the last verse of the book of Ezekiel goes something like this There's going to be this city. Someday there will be this city. And in this city, there will originate this river, and you'll have this tree. And by the way, the name of the city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. The name of the city is going to be, this is where God is. That hadn't yet happened at this point. But the promise and this rumor of living waters and healing trees, you have it here pretty clearly in Ezekiel chapter 47 and then 48. And then Jesus. Maybe every sermon ever preached in any church should always include the line, and then Jesus. (laughs) Because what we have Just in vision form and dream form in Ezekiel 47, hear this again, we have in reality in the person of Christ, the death and the resurrection of Christ, we have the beginnings of the river and the tree. We have the beginnings of this new kind of way of being alive. We have this ultimate victory now, only dreamed of in Ezekiel, but we have it by the time we get to the story of Christ. We have it, which means we have it. Though it's not yet fully announced, not yet fully implemented, not yet fully embodied. But now with Christ in his ear, John can write about it with more clarity. And now finally we get to chapter 22. Then this angel, much like the guide who showed Ezekiel around, now this angel is showing John around. Showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of this river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The rumor, by the time we get to the book of Revelation, has become reality in the person of Christ. Now, again... Not fully announced and not fully implemented, but the beginnings of the tree and the beginnings of the river are now present in the victory of Christ. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. Now this giant city, this giant temple, you could say, has come down out of the sky and has taken up residence here amongst the people of the planet But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and forever. Now I want to take you back to this knowledge. The book of Revelation is written to The church. It is written to the church. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but the book of Revelation is not written first and foremost to you, an individual. It's not. You can't get what you need to get out of the book of Revelation. And by the way, I would say this about most of Scripture. You can't get what you need if you only access it through the lenses of individualism. The book of Revelation is written to us. And we are the beginnings of the new Jerusalem. That's pretty good. Five of you are pretty excited about that. The bad news is that five of you are pretty excited about that. The book of Revelation wasn't written, first and foremost, to predict what was coming. You've heard me say it hear it again for the last time for a long time the book of revelation is not so much about what will happen as much as it is about what happens all the time yes we believe that there will come a point in time in time when god will finish what god has started and god will do the things that only god can do but now here we are in the in-between time and what are we supposed to do We are supposed to live, hear this, we are supposed to live today as citizens of the ultimate kingdom to come. In other words, you and I need to find that river of living water and make it available as often as we can. You and I need to find this fruit and these leaves on these trees meant for healing. We need to find those as best we can and make them available as often as we can because it is in and through us, the new Jerusalem, that God is slowly but surely advancing. Do you believe that? Mm, Some of you aren't sure. Some of you aren't sure. And I don't blame you because maybe you've been reading Facebook to watch and see how Now, this is going to be judgmental. I apologize ahead of time. But to watch and see how Christians, if you're listening on a podcast that just did giant air quotes right then, how Christians are accessing this darkness that we've seen play out on our screens over the last couple of days. Let's not talk about them. Let's talk about us. What does your heart want to do now? This was criminal behavior. Absolutely it was criminal behavior and it must be dealt with accordingly. What does that mean though? And how will the people of God be the people of God? How will the people of God be the new Jerusalem that we're supposed to be and make available to the rest of the world the waters of life and leaves for healing? How will we go about doing that? More personal, how are you going about doing that? What has been your reaction to the nightmares that you have seen play out in front of you? This will not be the last tragedy. Is everybody aware of that? This will not be the last tragedy. No matter who we elect, this will not be the last tragedy. How will we be the new Jerusalem? Jerusalem. How will we be stewards of this living water and this tree of life, which, by the way, we now, through Christ, have access to? Through Christ, we now have access to these living waters and this tree of life. This fruit, these leaves, we now have access to them. We are called to be good stewards of them. But what are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? With this living water, with this tree, with these leaves? You and I are supposed to be living as citizens of that new kingdom, not yet fully established, but we are called to be the first fresh expression of it. And when Christians don't live as if they are the first expression of this new Jerusalem, something breaks. It gums up the works. It slows down the process. I'm teaching in class right now, and I'm saying these same kinds of things to folks who are scattered, you know, a lot of different places. And one of them wants to say, you can almost see a crisis of faith playing out in his work (laughs) online and in these different rooms. You can almost see it. One of them wants to say on a regular basis, I'm not sure it's working, I'm not sure. I mean, where I live, he says, churches have backed out of the way. They've left these neighborhoods. Churches have backed so out of the way that now they only talk about things spiritual and not things physical. There's no body to the gospel around me, he says. I want to ask him, why is that God's fault? We, we, Us, tangible, touchable. We are the new Jerusalem. Now, we're not the finished product, amen, for that too, right? We're not the finished product, but we are a product. And we're called, uh, we're called to be the people of the victory. The people who live as if, the people who live as if, Christ was raised from the dead. Overcoming, overcoming all competitors to the throne like lust and power and lust for power. (laughs) My favorite uh, theologian. That I don't know personally is this guy. And in his book, Surprised by Hope, he writes this. Sorry for this long quote. But what we can and must do in the present if we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus and if we are directed by the Spirit, what we must do is build for the kingdom. That brings us back to the idea in 1 Corinthians that what you do in the Lord is never in vain. "'You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown into the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world.'" Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care and nurture or comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honorable in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. Whoa. In other words, I would need us to find our stubborn streak. <laughs> Some of you are looking at your significant other and says, well, I think you found yours. (laughs) I need us to find our holy stubbornness that says, no, we're on the winning side. We're on the winning side, and we will behave accordingly. And it is in our behaving accordingly that God is able to move all of creation. creation. Here at the end of the book of Revelation, it's a fair question. What is the point of being alive and being Christian? And perhaps for a lot of people, that answer has never been anything more than, you just gotta be good enough to either go to heaven when you die or get scooped up and taken to the better place. And I wanna say to us, hear this, no, the reason, the reason to be alive is to celebrate and live that celebration, that you are in fact on the winning side. To embody and announce in your own life and faith and obedience a new way of being alive, to live in full recognition and appreciation that you are in fact already, already the New Jerusalem, and that by our faithfulness and our obedience, we move everything into God's future. And man, when we learn the words of this song, God is in fact able to use our obedience in remarkable, powerful ways. Another uh, video that you've seen before, but it again um, captures exactly what I'm talking about. Now, let me just go ahead and set the scene for you. It's food court, and folks, sort of embedded in the crowd, are going to stand up in a little bit of time. They're going to sing the Hallelujah chorus at this in this food court. But I want you to watch as people sing their lines important point here as people faithfully sing their lines and the other people who are just spectating start to recognize what's going on eventually they too are caught up in the music and isn't that the point me too because I'm just sure that not all of the people in the food court were in the choir. I'm pretty sure that not all the people who finally joined in and sang or even lifted their arms at the end, I'm sure that they didn't enter as members of the choir, but the people of God were faithful. The people of God were faithful. And God used their faithfulness to grow the kingdom And that's how it works. The book of Revelation is not meant to tell you (laughs) where to invest your dollars for the coming apocalypse. It's meant to grab you by the shoulders and orient you to the victory of Christ. So that you can live accordingly. In other words, it's meant to do the same thing that we do each week. If you're helping us to serve this meal, recognize... How important it is. Boy, man, you guys are killing me. There are a lot of folks in there dabbing tears from their eyes, and if you want me to continue, hurry up and get that done. (laughs) This meal helps to orient us. The people of God must be oriented in times of tragedy. They must be oriented in times of tragedy toward the victory of Christ. Folks, probably just as important that we are oriented in times of comfort and success toward the victory of Christ. And may this meal orient us today. May we have the imagination today to live as the people who live in the light of the resurrection, the first fruits of this new Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And by them strengthen us, God. Grab us by the shoulders and turn us however much you need to turn us so that we can finally see with both eyes the victory that you have won in Christ. It's so on the night that is betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body broken for you every time you eat of this bread remember me and then later on he took the cup very interesting move here he took the cup cup of the new covenant and he essentially said we drink toward something together we drink toward that day when we will all be gathered around this giant table we drink today toward that day drink remembering but also thinking ahead in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand I'm going to ask you to exit your pews to the left then to come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which cannot be grasped, grabbed, bought charged, stolen someone will place a piece of this broken body into your hands and in doing so, you're healed, you're, you will hear this. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup held by the person standing right there. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat right then and there. And then you have a decision to make. I hope that you will all, that we will all find a place to pray. I hope your decision is whether you will pray in your pew or here. If you need a prayer for healing, come to these padded altars, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, relational, any kind of healing you might need. I want to invite you to come to these padded altars and someone will meet you there and pray a very powerful prayer for healing that we believe in very deeply. Then there's other altars here that are available for anyone and everyone. Any kinds of prayers, And what you'll notice is you will not pray alone. Someone at some point will touch you on the head, the neck, the back, shoulder, just to let you know that you, in fact, are not alone. And may that touch be for you, if you're the one praying, the tangible evidence that God is with you. If you can't come to us, then Jason will come to you and find you. Now, all around the sanctuary, if you would now, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward and receive the gifts of reorientation and life and hope. Father, we admit freely that we do not always live as if you've been raised from the dead. Your son has been raised from the dead. We admit that we do not always live in the light of the resurrection. can identify with folks who find themselves in tear-stained, dark places, who in those moments wonder where you are. We acknowledge that today. Here within reach of this table recognizing that there is in this table resources for grace forgiveness so forgive us god and beyond that god grow us move us forward help us to think more than that be more than that god give us glimpses perhaps glimpses of those who are fully aware that they are citizens of the coming kingdom bring folks around us and give us the eyes to see when people are living as citizens of your new kingdom god hear us now as we pray for needs in our body and connected to our body. Hear us as we pray.
0: As we turn our hearts towards these moments of intercessory prayer, as Pastor John has led us in thinking about the tragedies that have happened around the world, we do want, as a congregation in Oklahoma City, to in solidarity come alongside and pray for those who are victims of violence around the world. To give us the courage to pray for those in darkness, those who create violence. God, your redemption and your love come to those who do not have the dignity and love and love for the other that exists in those of us who follow after the one who loved his own enemies even unto death. God, give us that courage. we pray for our world, Lord, we also turn our eyes to our nation, our future, and our city, our neighborhood. Lord, would you use us as your hands and your feet and your leaves for the healing of even our neighborhood. So we pray for our after-school program pray for our outpost tonight this thanksgiving dinner lord bless those who serve and those who will be served this thanksgiving dinner this afternoon lord we also in intercession want to turn our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our words of prayer to those who need a specific healing touch from you lord we ask for the healing in the life of debbie mckenzie she recovers from surgery earlier this week Lord, would you be with the McKinsey family, and God, would you continue to heal Debbie? Lord, we ask, ask you to be with our friend Mary in recovering from knee surgery. She would have a wonderful recovery very quickly and fully. Lord, we ask you to specifically touch Ken Hardy and be with his health. We ask you to come alongside him even now. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be with those from whom we come into this place with a heavy heart, and the person who... God is placing on your heart now that you would ask that God might heal that can be physically it can be relationally as God places that person on your mind now would you pray for them and then take a a look at the person on your left and would you pray for them may know them well, they may be a stranger, would you lift them to the Lord? Now take a look at the person on your right. Would you pray for them? And lift them to the Lord. prayer, Lord, we ask that you would come alongside those who are lonely, those who are incarcerated, our beloved homebound. And Lord, the people who would even in this place now feel like there is darkness and sorrow. So God, would you come alongside those who struggle with depression and anxiety. Lord, may we be a people who reflect the very image of your son in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. And we're going to pray this morning, church, using debts and debtors. And if you're unfamiliar with this prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of you. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts